What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast, the spot to get your mind right. Can't just train the body, got to train the mind. And this is this has been a long time coming. I look back in the last few years, you know, who have I leaned on in my journey of you know going through some hardships, some adversities? Who do I trust? Who do I care deeply for? Who has experience? Who has a huge heart to love and serve? Who has just skills and a background of helping people overcome adversity, challenge, change, and traumatic events in their life. And this is my dear friend, Charlie Smith. Charlie Smith um, is an entrepreneur. He's a husband. He's a father. He has had a successful business in, just say, like building malls, strip malls, real estate. Um, he founded a, an organization called Archway House where help people who have addiction who are overcoming and just the impact this gentleman has having. And we also are co-creators of a curriculum for Wonder Seed, giving mindset training to youth teens in need. So Charlie Smith, I love you deeply. I can't wait for this conversation, brother. How are you? I'm doing amazing. I uh, It was like Christmas getting up this morning, being able to share this time with you. You know, I, I, I play that message you just shared back all the way to when I first decided that I was going to pivot out of my commercial real estate practice and really take on the speaking, coaching and training platform. And you were the first person I reached out to, you know, our, our relationship was really born out of me asking for help. And I was, you know, at the time, 55 years old, I'd had a 30 year career as a successful commercial real estate developer. And I think the message in that for, for me was, you know, that we're never done growing and that we're always that we always can be learning and and the message of reaching out to people that have the things that you want or doing the things that you want and asking for help you're the first coach i ever hired in my you know 30-year career in, in business and and now we've you know morphed into to two of the closest friends one of the closest friends i have in my life as you said you know we speak often about life and about life's challenges we partnered on on the wonder seed social emotional learning foundation curriculum which is being installed this week actually with the foster youth department of the city of Los Angeles, uh, with brotherhood, um, the brotherhood group. And, 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 and we're on the phone and there's a bunch of kids learning our curriculum right now, man. How great is that? Yeah. It's so, so rewarding and fulfilling. And I've heard this phrase is, you know, find what you love to do, find a way to get paid to do it and find people that you love to do it with. So I feel like we've both have checked those three boxes. And that's why it's this kind of question is it work is it play can't tell it feels like the same to me. So, so, so blessed, so blessed to live life with you and you are my brother go to I love you for the end of time that you're there for me I'm there for you so I love to have this conversation and maybe spark this first initial question listeners do you have those people in your life that are ride or die. Charlie, you, you told me a million times, Colin, if you need me, I'm jumping on a plane to Nashville, Tennessee. You just tell me when. And that just having that openness and that just safety net and that commitment, I think that's just like a commitment and just that un, undying love and support. And I do the same for you. So listeners, I think let's look at developing that. But let's just kind of go into your story, Charlie. Your story, your, your story is fascinating. Um, you're in California. Maybe just give us kind of your origin story. Let's think early on and what led you to the, to this to this point now. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's an important question, and it's it, it really is the reason that I'm that I'm doing what I'm doing today. So, 
Yeah, I live in Southern California, but I wasn't, I was born here. I was actually born in a very small town in Scarborough, Maine. And to the outside world, you know, my family looked like every other middle-class family in Scarborough, Maine, which is often the case in dysfunctional homes. You know, the appearance of the outside world is, is a bit of a mask. And I grew up with a mask because while my father was a college professor at the University of Southern Maine, my mom was a first grade school teacher. We were on the cover of Catholic Digest magazine in 1970 as the model Catholic family. That was not the reality of my existence. Really, the innocence of my life was stolen at the age of six when I suffered my first closed fist punch to the face and a bloody nose at the hands of my, my dad. And, you know, really, my life was never going to be the same again. You know, I, I suffered 13 years of violent child abuse. At the age of 19, I had a 45 caliber pistol leveled at my head. Fortunately, I had a brother who was home from the Navy that Christmas who knocked my dad off of me. And, and I left Scarborough, Maine at the age of 19 and never returned. You know, I was on my own at the, at the age of 19 to find my way in this world. And I don't share that story for sympathy. I definitely don't share it for effect. And I don't share it because I'm a victim of it. I share it because it's the truth, you know, and what we don't deal with in life will deal with us. And that's what happened to me, Colin, is, you know, I learned some patterns when I was young, a couple of them. One, I learned that, you know, if I was going to be out of my house, my father would allow me to be gone for school or for work. So I, I leaned hard into being a good student, not because I wanted to learn, but because if I was in school, I didn't have to be home. And I started picking peas at the age of 11. I had a paper route. I would wait tables at during the day. I would bake bread at night till four in the morning, I would do anything I could to sustain a life away from home. And, and the other pattern I learned was by the age of 12, I, I had my first drink. And so those three things would be the trajectory, trajectory of my life for about you know, 20 years, all three of those things. I continued my drinking, continued going to school to escape home and continued to work under the guise that if I could achieve material success and I could achieve power, purpose and prestige, that I could pretend that what happened to me as a kid didn't exist. And so I chased kind of wealth and and material success at the expense of my at the expense of my self-worth and you know, what I can tell you is we're good until we're not. And by the age of 42, I was a full-blown alcoholic and a drug addict. I had achieved a lot of the things that I had set out to achieve, but it was, it was with an empty soul. It was, a, it was with a broken heart and it was with an unauthentic, inauthentic set of values and principles. Uh, and so, you know, at the age of 42, I, I kind of hit this darkest point in my life. And, and what I believe, and kind of I'll wrap up the origin story with, with this, and which is my platform, as you know, is... I believe that for 42 years, I gave the pen to the story of my life to everybody else. I believe that I gave it to my dad. I gave it to the bullies at school. I gave it to the teachers that put, that put me in special ed. And I let them write on the pages of my life. And at the age of 42, in my darkest moment, it was when I made an empowering decision to take that pen back. And from that day forward, I have been the intentional author of my life. And I found recovery for my drug and alcohol problem but I needed something for my mindset problem. I didn't even know I had a mindset problem. I didn't even know what mindset was, but I knew that my thinking had been really grooved by my past experiences. And so when I heard, you know, uh, your, your late partner, our dear friend Trevor speak for the first time, I was drawn to this idea of mentally conditioning my mind differently, as you would say, by design instead of by the default of my past. And that's probably what led me so deeply into this space. Yeah, can you bring us back to that moment? Like, what, what, what was the draw? Like, what uh, story concepts that really clicked for you? How was that delivered? Because I would say, I've been doing this for quite a while. You're one of the best mindset coaches in the world. I would say I've watched you live present. I've watched you 
make curriculum. I've, I've watched you coach me when I need coaching and you're one of the best I've ever seen. So, um, cause I think we want to kind of normalize this work. So what was it that draw you in to say, Hey, I need to work on my, uh, my ear, my, the space in between my ears. Yeah, there were, there were three, there were three specific concepts that really spoke to me. The first was when I heard Trevor Moad say, your past is not predictive of your future, your current behavior is. It was this idea, and I'll never forget the story of the, of the, the, when Seattle was down to the Green Bay Packers and Russell Wilson had thrown a bunch of interceptions. There was five minutes left in the game, and that's where my life was, right? I mean, I had a lot more than five minutes left in my life, but I was staring down the barrel of, you know, the consequences of 10 years of active alcoholism addiction. You know, I had not been the father that I said I was. I had not been the husband that I wanted to be. I had not been the man that I wanted to be. And I had made a lot of mistakes. You know, the rearview mirror was littered with a lot of wreckage. And how can you take the shame and guilt associated with those interceptions and believe that you can create a different future? And, and that's where the fundamental idea that it was my mindset about those events, the meaning I gave them and what I did with them that compelled me to make behavioral changes in the way I think. I still have on recording the first time that you and I met and you explained to me that mindset is a conditioned set of beliefs that drive behaviors that generate results in our lives. So my belief system and my behavior system were out of alignment for many years of my life. And what mindset training did is it allowed me to bring those things into congruency and into alignment. And that's where I started to generate results. The other two things were self-talk, you know, that I never really in all my years of therapy had understood how damaged my inner critic had become, uh, my inner voice had become, how disempowering it had become, how it had taken on a life of the words that I'd heard from the age of six to the age of 19 years old and kept replaying those and that I could actually write different lyrics. And we can talk a little bit about, you know, how we go about doing that and creating a different narrative and, and lyrics and self-talk strategies. And then that idea of an internal ad campaign, you know, so it was those three things coupled with a new set of behaviors um, that allowed that, that really drew me to this to this training. Yeah, I love it. So let's just dive into I love that fact you brought Trevor in and he's inspired both you and I. I wouldn't be doing this. If it wasn't for Trevor. Trevor, rest in peace. But your past is not predictive of the future. Your current behaviors are. Uh, how do we help people? And you can tell some of your stories. I remember you told me a story when you were in the, the band and orchestra and you were really good. And, you, you know, your dad said something that just derailed your confidence and belief or it didn't give it meaning because it was important to you. But we're, we're carrying so much baggage from our past. We are holding on to, as we like to say, trauma, drama, daddy and mama challenges internally. So how do we start to heal those? So I, I think the concept that resonates the most with me today is that I'm not defined by the things that have happened to me in my life. I'm defined by the meaning that I give them. And for a lot of years, I gave all of the events in my life a very disempowering meaning. The narrative I have today of my past is that I am a survivor, that I am a creator, that all of those things that I went through, I got, I, I got out of that violent home. I got myself to school. I started in business with absolutely nothing but about, I don't know, $120,000 in student loans and credit card debt when I got when I got out of school at the age, ripe old age of 22. And I created a life for myself. And I did that 
through all that pain. And what I've done now is I've stacked those lessons, those very important parts of me that, that we, we, in, in, in learning, we would call it conscious competency. I've taken all of the attributes of Charlie Smith and I've looked at those through a different lens. And I share this really powerful story about the image that we have of ourselves. When my mom gave me all of my grade school records with all of my little yearbook pictures and all my class pictures when I was young, I took them and threw them in the trash. I was so embarrassed of that version of me. And I, I thank God an important person in my life took those out and, and, and saved them for me. And, and I now have all of that kind of journey. But what I realized, Colin, is that guy, that broken kid made some really important decisions because he's the kid. He's the guy that made the decisions to turn his life around. You know, and for 15 years, I'm now alcohol and drug free, um, you know. I'm an I'm a incredible father to my two children. I have in, a, a, an incredible wife um, who loves me unconditionally. I've really created the life that I really deserve uh, intentionally because of the way I've changed the narrative of my past. If I had stayed with the narrative of, of a broken, abused kid who suffered incredible injustice and blamed all of that as I was for 42 years, I'd be in the grave right now, man. Well, can you give the story that was it your dad told you something about when you were doing uh, like you're in, in the band? Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, it's really compelling for me to, to look back. I just wrote about it recently. So I was because I, I, I tore my ACL as a freshman playing football and I wasn't a great athlete. My father didn't really believe that sports was a productive way to spend our time. So, you know, this, the school and work thing took over. And so I tore my ACL my freshman year high school football. Um and so the only outlet I had to stay away from home was I joined the band and, and I took up trumpet uh, and I became, you know, a, a fairly accomplished trumpet player in this band. We did a lot of we did a lot of the masses at school. We did a lot of the events um, in our class. And so I, I became pretty accomplished trumpet player. And there was an, a, an award ceremony at school. I was a, a junior in high school at the time. And I got noticed that I was getting an award at this banquet. And so my parents dressed up, my dad, real proud college professor. We all got in the car and, you know, his expectation was that I was going to receive an award for my success in my economics class or some of the work that I've been doing academically. And so he was very proud to sit there. And when I got recognized that night, I got recognized as being the best, most improved uh player in the horn section of our of our school band i was i was brought up as a as an accomplished trumpet player and and he lost his shit man he he excuse my french he he threw me in the car and that was probably one of the beat, worst beatings i got of my life was just his embarrassment that that's all i had that that the trumpet award was what i got and i, I never played the trumpet again i haven't picked up the trumpet since that 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 night and and i lost that passion because i allowed someone to steal something from me. And, and I'll never forget that. And I'll never allow that to happen again. Mm. How do we start to heal through that? I think, how, how do we start to heal from some of those past Trump, those, those traumatic events and start to, to move forward? Well, the, the way I've done it, I can only speak for, for what's given me the most healing is to recognize that my dad was a sick guy, to recognize that that was his narrative and his ego that was inflamed that night. But, it, and, and I shouldn't have allowed it to steal away the success of me taking this brass instrument with, with three little buttons on it and turning that into something that could make incredible music. And that I, that I committed myself to, to learning to read music 
I considered, I committed myself to going to band practice regularly and consistently, and then I got better and accomplished at that task. So the way I've healed from that is allow him to be who he was, but not to wear the wardrobe of his narrative and really look at the things that I did that allowed me to accomplish that. And it's really changed. As you can even see, it's like it's made me feel good about me, feel bad for him that he was suffering so bad and that he was broken. But but you can't allow other people to steal your joy. You can't allow other people to rob you of your accomplishments. That's what I did. That's why it's so important that we own the pen to the story of our lives, because I take that lesson now. I say, boy, reading music is hard. Learning to play an instrument is hard. I got really good at it. That's a part of me I don't want to lose. And I apply that to what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. I love it. So you, a, few, a, a few things is uh, is how you attach a meaning mm-hmm. to the failures or the adversity or the experience. What's the meaning for it? Can you use it to help serve grow and have awareness, you know, for other people who are going through something like that. Um, and, but also I think a lot of us, we just bury some of this, these traumatic events and we don't deal with them. What you don't feel, you won't heal. So I think what you've done is you've gone back and kind of re wired that instant, talk to that, that, that inner Charlie and work through that and love on that little Charlie. And that helps you give the, the skills and the mindset to move forward. But I think, yeah, Pain that's not properly processed gets projected. So I think I was talking with a, a, a an athlete that I train. He's a quarterback, pro pro player, very very good career in college. And he was asking me about Colin. How do I stay present? What 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 tactical skills do I do I stay present? And I said, Well, I can give you you know things like breath work and having a mantra and finding your body and being connected to your body, but that's just a band-aid to a, a deeper issue. Like, why are you seeking validation from an external event or for your stats or for results or for you, what people think? I'll give you some stuff for staying present in the moment, but we need to do some deeper work to free yourself from this internal cage you're in of trying to be pleased and liked by others. So we're doing some deeper work, and it's been so fun just to see the light bulb go off of just having self-compassion, having self-empathy and, and being your own uh, system of support and just allowing yourself to not defined by this. Those are the five words that we memorize. I'm not defined by this. And uh, that's super exciting. But uh, man, you're one of the most, you know, um, I guess I'll say positive people in my life that just kind of begins me back to center. Um, but when we're faced with, I would say, I would ask you that question. When we're in the moment, I think we were talking about deeper work. When we're in the moment and we feel this inner critic pop up, when we feel doubt, worry, fear, when we feel nervousness to give a presentation at work or to have a hard conversation, um, what what skills can we do in 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 that in that time, like right there? So I think I think the first thing that I've learned is awareness is the is the is the fuel for growth, and so not denying things that that concept, which I, I you know. What you resist persists and what you don't deal with will deal with you. And so identifying, I'm nervous. I'm feeling this. I'm going to let that go. And and then get into those actions that typify what or exemplify the experience that you want to have. So, you know, in, in our training, what we do is we focus our present moment focus on the current state that we're in. And then we look to shift that state through breathing. You know, the breath is is a centering breath is is something that we need to train 
And if we can go to that in the present moment, you know, we all have a stress, natural stress reflex, but we don't have a relaxation reflex. So we have to train ourselves to be relaxed in those moments. And so if we can train relaxation, you know, we get into those moments and we've, our body is naturally going to be stressed when we perceive a threat. Speaking in public, giving a presentation at work, our minds perceive a threat. If I don't do this well, I could get fired. If I don't speak well tonight, I could, that's, that's your mind creating a threat. And what we have to do is create an opportunity, which is I have a chance to share my message, you know, that I'm here for a bigger reason. If I can touch one person in this audience, I've spoken a lot, you know, and I've really enjoyed doing this. I take a breath and I reframe that threat to an opportunity. I see that threat as, as, a, as a chance to be of service and that this night, this event, this presentation isn't about me. And then the last thing I'll say is that we recognize that every rep we take makes us better. You know, Carol DeWick in, in her book, Mindset, talked about the study of the, the clay pots. You know, they, they gave two groups 50 pounds of clay. And they said to one group, make a perfect plot, pot out of the 50 pounds. To the other group, they said, make as many pots as you can, right? And the idea is the group that made as many pots as they could made the perfect pot. When we're trying to make the perfect pot, we get so tense and our mind gets so rushed with cortisol and adrenaline that we're unable to access that creativity, that executive function, that rest and digest. And so, you know, accepting what's happening, I'm nervous, this is a big event, giving it the right, you know, staying in the moment with a breath, a physical action, and then a reframing thought that you go to regularly will help, has always helped me transition out of that kind of parasympathetic, that sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, or freeze into that rest and digest. And then I have fun, then I actually end up enjoying myself. But that's how you get to flow. That's it. And, and I think you also talked about one of the, the mental skills that we worked on that really resonates your ad campaign, your self-talk. Help, help us, you know, work through that. How do we, what is self-talk? Why is it important? How can we design and, and pre-plan ways of how we use that? I think some people will self-talk, but like it's, it's deeper than that. It, it, it is. It's, it's, it's based in our inner narrative, right? We always have an inner narrative. We're always observing and reporting to ourselves about what's going on. And so by the age of five, science has found that we've had 40,000 no's by the age of five. This is growing up, not in a home like mine, in just a normal average home. Don't do that. Don't touch this. Don't run. Don't go here. I mean, and, and it just perpetuates past that. We've only heard about 5,000 yeses. And so our minds are really wired towards that inner critic. Um, and the inner critic is designed to keep us from thriving in our lives. It's designed to keep us safe and protected. It has a very disempowering narrative. The, the, the idea for us is to be intentional about creating a different set of narratives that we tell ourselves on a consistent and regular basis. I don't believe anybody in research has found that we can ever eliminate the voice of our inner critic. Sometimes you know, the threats that we see are real. And so we're never going to get rid of that inner critic. The way you turn down the volume on your inner critic is to turn up the volume on your inner champion. But you must do that intentionally. What will you say to yourself? When will you say it? And if you don't have the mental reps of knowing how to talk to yourself and you haven't written down the things that you will say to yourself and you don't know when you will say them, then your inner critic already knows what it's going to say. And it already knows when it's going to say them. So you are the opposition, if you will, as a coach, we've got to you know, always break down the competition. The opposition that you've got in your, in your daily life is your own mind. And it knows all of the things that have happened to you. It registers 
all of those things into your long-term memory instantaneously. Thank you, Richard Hansen, Wellspring Institute. Minds are like Velcro for negativity and Teflon for positivity. So if I can share just one quick story about my mom, who's 85 years old, uh, second-generation Italian, full-blooded Sicilian. I was on the phone with her about a month ago, Colin, and she uh, was getting an award for being the volunteer of the year for the Domestic Violence Association of America. My mom left my violent father at, at the age of 65, so about 20 years ago she's been gone. And she was going to this event to get this award. And she said, you know, I, I really am so self-conscious about going tonight. Your father always said I was a fake and a fraud. And that if anybody ever knew who I really was, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. And I questioned her and I said, you know, mom, it's interesting. He's been dead for about eight years now, 10 years. You left him about 20 years ago. How is his narrative? How are his lyrics still playing in your mind today? I said, what you really need to do is you need to write some new lyrics and stop listening to those lyrics. And she kind of, it was sad for me to hear that she was still playing that tune, but it was really gratifying when she looked at me and she said, oh, you mean like my Pandora? I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, in my Pandora, if I don't like a song it plays, I give it a thumbs down and it stops playing songs like that. And if I hear a song that I like, I give it a thumbs up and it plays me more songs like that. So I'm going thumbs down on fake and fraud and I'm going thumbs up on compassionate, caring, giving woman who's earned the right to achieve, you know, receive this award tonight. And, and that's really it, right? We've got to, we've got to go thumbs down on our inner critic. We got to go thumbs up on our inner champion. But if we don't have written, confirmed confidence conditioning statements, and we don't know when we're going to say to our, those things to ourselves, we'll listen to the loudest voice and that will be our inner critic. I love it. And I think about what a great analogy. I think teaching coaching off of analogies is the best way to bring new information to make this, uh, maybe it could be complex information, making it simple. And I'm thinking about, so your ad campaign is when you watch television, listen to podcasts, you know, radio, look scrolling through social media, there are ads and they're, they're, they're promoting to sell something. So do you have an ad campaign for you promoting why you are worthy, why you are prepared, why you will have success? So using that same analogy of music, we should be making a playlist. We determine the songs you want to hear to put us in the right mood, the right state to give us the most clarity and make a playlist of your best times of having success of when you perform well, of the preparation you've put in, of the people in your life that love you, of the words and the phrases you want to say to remind yourself that you are worthy, that you're going to have a great time, you're going to serve, you're going to grow. So that's one thing I think I would encourage everyone, just like Charlie's talking about, is it's by design, not by default. So pre-plan, just like you would pre-plan a playlist or meals that you're going to cook, the ingredients you're going to buy. Like Think about the words, the emotions, and have a place to go and start to practice saying those things, to, to visualize those things. Love this quote from Earl Nightingale. We become what we think about most of the time, and that is the strangest secret. Thoughts become things. Like attracts like. Energy flows where focus goes. Your words are your wand. So now, and you want to add on to anything to that before I get to the, the next question? Man, I, 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 lo I love it all. I just, I'll just add on that our minds are like fertile soil on a farm, right? The land doesn't care what the farmer plants. And if the, and if the farmer will plant corn, corn will grow. And if the farmer pl plants poison, poison will grow. The land doesn't care. And that is our minds. And so we have to be intentional about the seeds we carry, 
the seeds that we plant, how we water fertilize them so that they can grow into, into the life that we want. It's really important. We understand that because our minds don't care. If, if our inner critic is, is the only voice it hears, it doesn't care that it disempowers us. It doesn't care that it makes us feel sad. It doesn't care that it makes us feel worried. The emotion attached to that thought happens automatically. So it's up to us to change that connection between the thought and the emotion and create a different thought that creates a different emotion so we can create a different action. Right. So McDonald's has been advertising to me since I was a young boy. I have my own internal ad campaign about my physical health. I haven't driven through a drive through and had a Big Mac in a lot of years. And nor will I because my internal ad campaign about my physical health and about my nutrition and well-being is way more valuable to me than McDonald's advertising campaign. But if you don't have one, you'll be. And again, back to the pen, if you don't have the pen in your hand and you're not writing your story, then you'll listen to what Instagram says, you'll listen to what Facebook says, you'll listen to what McDonald's says, you know, you deserve a break today, um, you know, and all those other things. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you touched on a really powerful thing. And one thing I would tell any parent, any leader, how you speak to your kids or how you speak to your team becomes their self-talk, just like the examples you gave as a kid. So your, your environment matters. Mental condition, your conditioning is shaped by what you see here and experience. So Charlie, how do we create a better environment to remove some of these harmful things that influence our mind, to have a better environment, whether it's people, whether it's what we read, what we, what we listen to, what we watch? You know, I think one of the things, a great question, Colin, I think one of the things that I've been really focused on, I think it's why when, when you talk about the abilities that I've developed, it's because I live it, right? So this is, this is what I do on a daily basis. This is how I live my life. And so, you know, things, especially with our kids, more things are caught, not taught, and they watch us and they mirror us. And so if we're allowing them to go on and on about all the problems at school today, and we're not asking them what went well at school today, you know, if we're not asking them or reinforcing for them, you know, how they got through that challenge and seeing themselves and empowering them and, and allowing them to develop that skill of self-regulation, then, then we're not serving them. You know, if we allow them to ramble on about problems, they're going to get used to talking about problems. If we're telling them what they can't be, then we're taking away their dreams from them. And so I think all of these things, allowing them to control what they can control, how they talk to themselves, how they see threats and challenges as opportunities. The other big thing, and, and, and uh, it, it's out of the mindset training, is we've got to start rewarding effort. You know, we've got to stop calling kids smart. We've got to stop telling kids that they're good athletes. We have to start rewarding them for studying hard for tests. We have to start rewarding them for the amount of time they spent practicing and what a good teammate they were. Because mm -hmm. the more we attach them to labels, the more they become associated with those labels and we try to protect those things like your your quarterback, you know, that you were sharing earlier. It's like when we define him as a quarterback with a high completion rate, and a low turnover rate, and he's such a good athlete, you know, he wants to protect that identity. And so the thought of throwing an interception or, or making a mistake could fracture that image that he has of himself. But if he sees himself as a hardworking athlete, he sees himself as a talented young man, good, good son, good friend, good teammate, works hard, first one there, last one to leave. You know, all of the things that we define him by are, are effort instead of labeling him as a thing, you know, and defining him as that thing. We, sh we, we just need to start rewarding different things. We can still reward people, but let's reward them for effort, not identity. Now, I remember when I was eight years old, second grade, playing for the Puyallup Rough Riders in football. First game of the year, I scored three touchdowns. 
And after the game, there was like four or five parents like, are you, are you, are you number 42? Oh my gosh, you're like the best running back we've ever seen. You are so good. And that and immediately I got so much praise. And then I just had this identity of, man, if I perform well, I get all this, all this love and praise. So I think that just inadvertently creates anxiety. I love how you, right. um, so I put effort versus outcome, process over outcome, like pray that's for parents, for leaders, great reminder. So I want to get into Charlie talking about how you had a successful career and you decided to pivot and do something that really were, was called to your heart to serve in the space of, of how to train mindset, how to, how to give back that way. And also overcoming addictions and some challenge, life challenges to kind of heal and, and move forward. So I want to spend time because I know there's listeners that are probably in a career or they have a vision. Maybe they're students. They want to start something. How do you start something from scratch? Because you started your business from what you're doing now, like speaking, creating content. You're, you're writing a book right now. Um, give, give us, give me, you know, what triggered you to want to start that and what were the steps you did to get to, to where you are now? Because I'm, I'm listening to your – this is when the student becomes a teacher. I'm, I'm taking a page of notes from, from, your, from your teaching and I'm like, this guy – Every time I hear him speak, he is so good, and more people need to hear what he says. But you've done so much work to, to get here. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Well, well, the first thing, you know, is I'll, I'll walk you back to the change. So uh, I put my last shovel in the ground on a, on a, a piece of commercial real estate in, in 2013. We built about five buildings up in, in Northern California with my partner, and I had this, this, I kind of sat down with myself and, and looked at what had occurred in my life, um, you know, the consequences of the decisions I had made in my past. And I looked to what I wanted to do with my life. And what came to me was, you know, the developing shopping centers and, and building that business was, was a skill I developed out of a kind of warped sense of who I was. And if I look at who I was and who I'd become and what I had gone through, how could all of those ex experiences best serve this world? And my, my, my conclusion was that I wasn't going to best serve this world by building another shopping center, that I was going to best serve this world by sharing all of the things that I had gone through in my life. And so, you know, my idea was I could develop buildings or I could develop people. And for me, you know, given that I was myself a reconstruction project, I, I, I joke, although it's very true, you know, I was red, I was red tagged, you know, I was unsafe to enter but to the public at some point in my life. And so how did I go about that reconstruction project? You know, because you don't have to be sick to get better. You don't have to have gone through what I've gone through. But the, the things that affect all of us are the same. And people are, are, are greatly affected by those limiting beliefs. And so when I learned how to overcome limiting beliefs and I learned how to change the trajectory of my life, you know, in recovery, by the way, you, you talk about overcoming addiction. It's process over outcome. There's a set of behaviors that people are, that are in recovery from long-term substance abuse engage in. And if you engage in those behaviors over a consistent period of time, the days stack up. We do it one day at a time. What do we do one day at a time? We wake up in the morning and set our intention. We connect with a higher power. We share our experience with other people. We give away what's been freely given to us. We reflect on our day at the end of the day. We, we develop and live by a set of principles in our lives, you know, not preferences. And if you do those things every day, then the days become weeks, the weeks become months, the months become years, and then it becomes your identity, right? Just like the internal ad campaign, you start with a action that becomes a behavior, 
it then becomes a habit and then it just becomes who you are. But when you stop doing the things that relate to that identity, then it's like a snowball going downhill. You know, you're going to you're going to revert back to where you were very quickly. And so it was born out of a out of a pure desire to serve this world in a bigger way and to, you know, I suffered in silence for so long that I wanted to overcome out loud and I didn't want to allow the shame and guilt I had about who I was to impact who I could be. So that's where that turning point occurred. I just felt I had uh, all of the experiences that I had gone through had prepared me to do something bigger. So that's number one. I love it. Well, can you talk about advocating for uh, coaching? Because I would say yeah. whether it's Trevor, Brian Kane, myself, George, George Mumford, you've had some great people in your life that you've been humble enough. I think part of growth, the foundation of growth is humility and looking yeah. at, okay, who has the skills, who has the background? How do I get around those people? How do I get in a position where I'm asking questions? I'm directed to the right resources to learn. And then I start getting those reps like you talked about. I start, you know, coaching, speaking myself, building my own philosophy. So maybe if you can share on that. Yeah. So let's talk about our reticular activating system, right? So where our attention goes, our energy flows, right? And so the first thing that you've got to do is answer that question. What do you want? Who do you want to become? What is it that you are desiring for your life? And what does that look like? That decision, clarity, it's like a ship leaving port without a clear charted course. It could end up anywhere. But a, a, a ship that leaves port with a clear charted course with all the supplies and everything that it needs on board is 99% of its time going to, going to reach its destination. If that destination is clearly set the navigation clear. And so you, our minds need a compass. And so the first thing is getting clear about what I wanted to do. Um, and then what happens is the world starts to operate in your favor. So you make a decision, you have this massive flooding um, as Ed Milet would say, says massive flood, flooding of confidence, of of confirmation, of belief that this can happen, that I can do this, that this is the right thing for me to do, and then you take massive action. And so the world, to your point, put all of those people around me. I mean, I have messages I save on on my phone from from Trevor when I first got introduced to him. You know, George Mumford just happened to be training a kid who was staying at my house after I went through a divorce. I reached out to you and asked for help because, you know, I needed access to somebody who could coach me and train me in learning how to teach. I'd never been a, you know, I'd, I'd been an owner of a company and I, I never saw myself as a teacher in that capacity because I didn't have that mindset. You know, my, I was more of a tell, not teach and train kind of leader. I let out a fear back in, in my prior life uh, and insecurity. And so I needed somebody who, who was a, a proven teacher. Um, and then you said, hey, if you want to really refine a framework, you know, let me introduce you to, to Brian Kane. I reached out to Dr. Jason Self. And then what I do and what everybody needs to do is that if you want to have a friend, be a friend. You know, so how could I be of service to the people that are around me? Because it's not about getting, it's not about taking, it's about giving to those people. While they have valuable things that 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 they can provide to me, I need to be able to understand what they need from me. And so I, I pour into those those people in a meaningful way and add value in their lives. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm teaching, I'm coaching, I'm training, I'm working with division one college sports programs. I'm working with professional athletes. I'm organizationally consulting 
for commercial real estate firms. And, and, and so the second part of it is take decisive action, right? Decision, flood yourself with, with belief, and then take decisive action. You know, make as many pots as you can. Here is on the way there. Don't wait for the perfect time. You know, make time perfect in how you use it. And that's what I've, you know, when I did my personality test, when I started working with Brian Kane, you know, I came back a daredevil, you know, which is I'm a fire, fire, aim guy. It's not that I'm not deliberate and intentional, but it's like, you know, if you want to speak, speak. I spoke to, you know, first time I spoke, I spoke to a little gym of 20 people. You know, I'm going back there today uh, to be of service to the guy that owns that same facility. And I'm doing a presentation tonight. But 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 speak, coach, train, ask, you know, and 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 ask for help. It's the biggest thing I did was ask for help. At 50 years old, sure, I had, had a, a great 30-year career as a commercial real estate shopping center developer. I could build you a building in, in, in no time. I could get it approved by a city. I could lease it all out to attend. I had a process for that. I didn't have a process for this. So what do you do? You go to people that know how to do it. And that's how I've built this business is consistency, asking for help, and massive action. Mm, wonderful. Mm. Well, I think I want to conclude. I love how you sum that, summarize that. I thought, where are you going with the RES? But then it came back around that you attracted those people and you had the urge to get better in that, in that area. So you start to introduce, meet ideas, omens, connect, connect the dots. But let's talk, let's end with my life, my pen. That's such a brilliant metaphor that you have talked about, you know, opening the podcast. And that's kind of your life calling, your mission, your focus to help people take the life, their life back by owning their story and writing their pen. Maybe give us the high level of where that came from and what points when we're taking our our power, our pen back, what structure can we use to rewrite that? Yeah, thank you. It's uh, I, I've sent these pens literally all over the world. They're, they're, they're in Australia, they're in Great Britain, um, they're in Canada, they're all over the United States, you know, and, and my, my mission is to empower everybody to be the author of their own life story. And, and it was really born out of a, a guest lecturing uh, opportunity I had to speak to a, a group of students. And, and, and it came to me in that presentation that what really happened to me was that I had given this pen away. And, and really what I needed to do was to take this pen back and become the author, intentional author of my own life. And so I've been, you know, I trademarked my life, my pen. I have pens. They say my life, my pen on them. And it's a very empowering statement when people look at this and they go, yeah, it's my life. It's my pen. What am I writing today about the day I want to have, about the person I want to become? And so I'll just give you what I consider to be the five pillars of the pen, as I call them. And the first is to know who you are, right? So that's, that's all about self-awareness, your internal ad campaign, your self-talk, um, your, your, your awareness around who you are, what principles you want to live by, you know, what your one word focus is and really having an understanding of who you are and what areas of your life you want to, you want to work on in terms of getting better. So, so know who you are. The second is know where you're going. So the second pillar of the pen is to really have a clear idea of the roadmap that you want for your life is to set a course and a chart and believe that you have everything that you need or can find everything that you don't have to make that happen. But you need to be clear about your goals. You need to be clear about your telescope goals, your microscope goals, and what it is that you want and why you want it. So know where you're going is the second pillar. The third is know how you'll go there. So that's the process that we engage in, you know, a morning routine, an evening routine, you know, the consistent things that you need to do. If you want to write a book, then how much time are you spending a day writing? If you want to teach a course, 
you know, how much time you're spending on your curriculum. You know, if you want to build a shopping center, how much time he's talking to tenants and, and landowners. It's just the process. Know how you're going to go there. Right. People say trust the process. If you don't have one, you can't trust it. The third pillar, the, 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 the fourth pillar of the pin is probably the most important, which is know who you become on the way there. This is taken out of what I lost in my in the prior version of myself is I didn't have a set of values. I didn't have a set of principles. I didn't strengthen those values and principles. And I didn't live by those values and principles and it created that big integrity gap. So knowing who you become on the way to achieving your goals and dreams is really important. And then the fifth is something that we've talked a lot about today, which is know who you're gonna go with. You know, how do you create community? How do you create connections? How are you a connector? How are you a connection for other people? How are you pouring into the lives of other people and the people that you want to serve? So know who you are, know where you're going, know how you go there, know who you become on the way there and know who you're going to go with. And you'll own this pen and you'll write an amazing story. Well, I'm, I'm on that journey with you, my friend. I'm, I'm there holding the pen, supporting you. And I, I know you're supporting me in this journey of, of uh, to keep, keep on this journey to, to bring, bring mindset to the masses, to, to pour into people. But uh, will you let people know where where we can we can find you? Yeah, I I'm, I'm primarily putting most of my content out on Instagram. Uh, I've got a, at Charlie Smith Speaks is my Instagram. My email is Charlie at Charlie Smith Speaks. Anybody listening who wants their pen, message me on Instagram. Email me at Charlie at CharlieSmithSpeaks.com. My uh, website is Charlie Smith Speaks. Uh, and I will be happy to get a pen out in the mail to you so you can be the intentional author of your life. Uh, Colin, you, you, you're, you know, you, you are foundational in my life. Uh, the opportunity to have this conversation with you, the things that you've taught me, the things that we've shared over the course of the last several years can't be replaced. Well, this is long overdue. I'm a little like, what? why have we not <laughs> I recorded this earlier? But I'm glad that we're here now. And then this is just the beginning. Well, team, thank you for your time. Thank you for showing up. Uh, I would encourage you, if you're a business leader, if you're a coach, reach out to Charlie. He's, I would believe, one of the best mindset coaches, one of the best humans I know uh, that I love and trust so much. So thank you so much, Charlie. Uh, team Money, we know how we end every single episode. Charlie, jump in on this one. The body has limits. But the mind is limitless. Before history is written... It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.